Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. I just feel that like it would just connect with people way more than like what they think. Um, but you know, it's silly because you look silly <laughs> putting on a headset. Yeah, no one's gonna be no one's oh, gonna no see one's gonna that be part. like, oh, look at that kid in the corner. Like, <laughs> stop it. Like, eventually, five years from now, everyone's gonna be like that kid. And that's right, just the right. way it goes. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. God, it's so nice to hear this intro, Jamie. It's so, so warming my ears. I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Folks, we are going to kick it off today with some new and noteworthies, as we like to do. And let's start with none other than our Patreon monthly shoutouts. This is our special thank you to the folks who subscribed at the name in the credits tier or above over on patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod for the month of May. Those fine folks are Yinka and Val. So huge thank you to Yinka and Val for your support mm-hmm. at the name in the credits tier for May. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you, a uh, lovely listener, want to get your name in the credits, you can head on over to Pixel Therapy Patreon, where you can check out our plethora of perks that start at just $2 a month and get you a monthly bonus episode that features Spencer and I deep diving on fun topics. For example, for May, Spencer and I took Quantic Foundry's Gamer Motivation Profile Survey to figure out what type of gamers we are. According and to science. According to science. Um, I... The results will probably not surprise you, but (laughs) you should go listen to it anyway. And if that sounds like something you'd like to hear, then you can pop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and sign up for only $2 a month today. Of course, if that's not in the cards for you, no worries, because there are lots of other ways to support the show. And one of those is rating and reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. And for the third time in a row, we do have a lovely review to share with everyone today. This comes in from Cozy Gamer Grace, and Cozy Gamer Grace writes, Gamers and non-gamers alike should listen to Pixel Therapy. (laughs) The work that Spencer and Jamie... Oops, I reversed that. They wrote Jamie and Spencer. That's... (laughs) Oh, you always that's put me a, first in, your, in your mind, Jamie. I do, that's, I do. That's what that means. Uh, but, but Grace put me first, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, it's my turn. Finally, it's, it's your turn. <laughs> the work that Jamie and Spencer, the hosts of Pixel Therapy, that's us, are doing for inclusivity in gaming is beyond important. The Aww. conversations they facilitate with one another and with their expert guests are thoughtful, emotional, funny, real, loving, and informative. Oh. I find myself smiling, nodding, learning, and occasionally tearing up while listening to this show. Same. Same. (laughs) I've never listened to the entire episode library of a podcast before Pixel Therapy, nor have I been so moved to go online to write a review. There is so much value in this podcast. I sincerely hope that Pixel Therapy continues on for years to come. Grace, hold up. I'm sorry. This is embarrassingly the first time I've read this because... 
I, I'm <laughs> tears are pricking my eyes. This is so lovely. Thank well, you, you're, Grace. You're getting your real emotional reaction, right? Yeah, now. it's real, unfiltered. It's raw, it's raw and unfiltered. Uh, that's how we do it here. Uh, but no, for real though. Uh, thank you, Cozy Gamer Grace. Those are incredibly kind words. I'm so uh, happy to know that we can have such uh, an impact and that you've found this. Uh, I don't know, such a great place to listen. Yeah, this will keep uh, me going for the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna need that. But uh, <laughs> it is time. It's time. The time has come. It's time to get cozy. Pull up Finally. your armchair. <laughs> Feel free to lie down on the couch. We're gonna talk about our feelings, Spencer. It's been a fucking minute it's been a since minute. we have recorded an episode together. How the hell are you? Well, I'm very happy to be here. I missed you. I missed you too. I was I was telling Jamie the other day that like a week where I don't see Jamie's face on the little Zoom makes me be sad. Yeah, um, it's rough. <laughs> it's I, know, I love you. Um, oh, I love you too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> honestly, I thank you because there. I don't know. Not to put you on the spot in front of our listeners, oh but there was a time. There were times where, um, you know. I would, I, I'm someone who says I love you a lot to people that I love. And um, in the past, like you've shared with me that it, it it's vulnerable and sometimes difficult for you to say I love you. And so it means a lot to me whenever you say it. I just want you to know oh, that. <laughs> well, I do uh, love you and care about you a lot, even when I wasn't always verbalizing it. I've had, yeah, some oh life experiences. <laughs> Those, those experiences, am I right? Those experiences. We won't dig into them today. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but uh, I've been good. I'm good. We fought, we both moved, which was a big life change for both of us. Um, woo, woo. Speaking of our Patreon supporter, Yinka, loved him so much, I moved him into my house. <laughs> Love um, that guy. You know, I need my fans around me. <laughs> Just the the constant ego boost. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, for but for for the folks at home, um, Yinka and I have been friends for uh, many years now, almost as long as as you and I have been friends. And um, uh, my partner and I, we we're, were doing kind of a queer commune homestead life. And um, Yinka and his partner moved in, and so the four of us here are starting to um, sort of build a home together, which is just really exciting after the pandemic which like I've gone from like hyper isolation to like feeling very held and in community with others, which is really cool. Um, but having a house is kind of crazy. How are, how are you? Uh, so we, well, we moved into our house uh, at the end of March. Uh, so I, we're kind of settled, but yeah. I, my partner and I were a couple few, as of a few weeks ago, fully vaccinated uh, living that fully vaxxed life, uh, which for us <laughs> has meant that all of our family that we haven't seen in uh, almost two years oh, no. uh, has come out of the woodwork. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> all at the same time. And, you know, we got a new house, so they want to see the house. Uh, my, uh, I, ha- I had to travel uh, back to our hometown uh, for a wedding. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, my, my father got married and got to go to that and see him and... Uh, it's been. Did you walk your dad down the aisle? <laughs> I did. <laughs> no, uh, no, no one walked him down the aisle. <laughs> um, I was imagining you giving away your dad. <laughs> no, I didn't have to give away my dad. Uh, That's <laughs> so funny. Uh, technically, I didn't even get walked down the aisle. There was no wow, aisle rude. at my wedding, so not a big fan of aisles. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it's been it, I'm ha- having trouble articulating it because it is both so strange to be doing things that feel quote unquote normal. Mm. And like at the same time, it was, you know, it's like riding a bike. Like I just kind of like stepped right back into mm. it and we're see- was seeing people again. And then we came back and then my partner's parents came and visited us for a weekend. And, <laughs> and they not, brought you so many gifts. They brought us a lot of gifts. Yeah, this is not me complaining. This is all like very, very kind of everyone. <laughs> but I am exhausted. Oh, yes. yeah. So yeah, they're they're not um they're not layabouts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, maybe could benefit from reading uh, Dr. Devin Price's book. Like, yeah, this does not for exist. real. Um, but they did. They brought us a truck full uh, of Ooh. tools and supplies and stuff. And we were working the whole time they were here, which was so helpful. We put in a ceiling fan. We started putting in a fence. They pressure washed our house. Wow. Uh, these I love these people. They're very, very Send kind. them over with the pressure washer. <laughs> yeah, should have sent them your way. Um, and yeah, and then like now more family is visiting this coming weekend. And it's just, yeah, it's it's very nice. I'm ready for like two weekends from now when I can just sit on my couch and play games for a day. Yeah. Um, that'll be a nice that'll be a nice thing. But games. it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really great to see people yeah. and uh it yeah, it's not as it's both weird and not as weird as I thought it would be to be around people again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm already the introvert in me is like I'm already done. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm sorry. This randomly popped in my head just because when you were talking about your week and things that were happening, um, I did something that I wanted. I just want to tell you, it's not. I okay. just started. Okay. I downloaded. Mass Effect. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, all I got the legend, like the legendary yeah, version yeah, came out, yeah. and I was watching. Um, there's a streamer named Bloody Faster, and I was oh, watching yeah. her. Uh-huh. And uh, it was the day that it came out, and she was just starting up the game, and just the music playing in the intro screen. Um, like she was crying, people in the chat were crying. I started crying. So I was like, wow, I feel like. <laughs> I'm witnessing like a very personal moment, but she was talking about how just hearing the music and, and remembering the journey of Mass Effect, um, mm. uh, it just was stirring so much inside of her. And I was like, damn, I gotta down this, this kind of download this game is really having an effect on people. Cause I know you were a big Mass Effect player too. Yeah. Huge fan. Um, and I guess for the folks at home who have not heard of Mass Effect, it's like this space opera that originally mm. came out. I think the first game came out in 2007. Oh, boy. Um, Probably. And it's three games. Um, but what's interesting about the game is that the choices you make in one game will carry through to the second and third game. And so you're really embarking on this epic journey um, and who you are uh, is a constant, um, which I, I, I haven't really heard I'm sure there's other games that do that, but that really struck me. Um, and and really this game, like, yes, it's about, you know, going into space, traversing, bringing out the big guns, fighting aliens. Um, but it's also really um, marked by the relationships that you make and, and the things that you do when you're not on a mission and sort of just being a person. Um, and so I've, I'm maybe like 10 hours in. Um and I'm really enjoying it so far. I have to say the remaster, it's gorgeous. It looks gorgeous on the PS5. Yeah. Like it looks like a game that came out like last year. Uh, Sorry, I know. <laughs> I don't have time for this game. I, <laughs> <laughs> I 
Damn it. Uh, maybe I'll just have to live vicariously through you. Yeah, I don't so, know. I've been hearing people talk about it and I'm like, oh, should I? And then it's yes. like, you have no time. And then Ratchet and Clank's <laughs> going to be out. So just oh, stop I know. It. Ratchet and Clank's coming. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it was calling my name. So I just, I'm just getting into it. So I don't have to talk much more about it now. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I, like, as soon as I downloaded it, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to tell Jamie that I'm <laughs> Well, I'm really glad you're into it so far. And yeah, I, 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 yeah. Who knows if, I, if I'll end up succumbing and getting it myself. But I'm really interested to hear your take on it um, all these years later. I think you said earlier 2007, right? I just yeah. looked it up. That is when the first game came out. And yeah, I'm interested wow. to see how that story has aged. Um, mm. The big thing that, that people have been saying that's like really like making me itch to oh, like no. maybe get it is that oh, okay. <laughs> this has all of the the DLC that came out with the games is all like built right into the game. So as you play through them, you encounter mm. the missions that were originally released as DLC. Cool. And I can't remember. I played the games actually after they had come out sometime after they had come out. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I had some issue with trying to get the DLC. And so I actually haven't ha- played any of the DLC. And I've heard that some of the DLC is some of the best content that's in the games oh, okay. actually. And so that, mm, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Uh, we'll see. Mass effect legendary edition people. I mean, Check now that we out. know that God of War isn't coming this year. <gasps> I missed uh, that. What? Yeah, they announced this this week. Yeah, <sighs> that it's 2022. They say um, when? No, they don't have a date on it yet. They're shooting for 2022. It sounds like uh, just complications with COVID and getting actors in to do mocap and stuff. And um, the statement that that they put out uh, was from an interview with Herman Holst, who is some big wig at Sony or some at PlayStation. Guy. Um. Yeah, just basically, it sounds like they're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. They just they wanted to put their the humans that work for their company uh, first, and wanted to put their safety and well being first, so they're not gonna well okay crunch people <laughs> to get the game out this year. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, but sad face. Yeah, as if we don't have plenty of games to play. I know that's the thing, right? And uh, <clears throat> so actually. I'll, I'll I'll bring us over now. Like you you and I, uh, we talked about this. It feels like two months ago we had I this know. conversation now because it's been such a chunk of time here and yeah. so much has been happening. But we were like, you know, once upon a time when we first started this podcast, we used to uh, both come to the podcast having played the same game. That hasn't happened in a while, mm-hmm. uh, in quite some time. And so we wanted to actually uh, cultivate that today. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. we had a convo and it was... <laughs> much longer like if i can in, impress upon you all how like many different games we went back and forth on spencer and i before we landed on one that was like the right one that we both wanted to play in the moment and it's just to say the list that we came we came up with the easily came up with the list of games that we both wanted to play yeah but there was so much like that one's too long i'm not fe- this seems too sad i not don't right i mood. can't do this yeah. I think it was really the conditions um, are not right. The conditions had to be right. And I think it speaks a lot to how we both approach games, which is that mm. they're very emotional experiences for us. And so when we're go- deciding what we want to spend 10, 15, 20 hours of our lives with, mm-hmm. it's really important that it's meeting us where we're at right yes. now. A um, space to receive it. Exactly. <laughs> uh <laughs> So what's the game that we decided on? Yeah, so so excited to talk with you and all of everyone here about Mutazione. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Oh, it's well, it's a uh, Italian 
Mutazione. Mutazione. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mutazione is a game that was released in 2019. Uh, it's developed by a Danish studio, uh, Die Gute Fabrik, which I believe I'm pronouncing correctly, or at least pretty close. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> the game is available on basically everything now. It actually just came to Switch and Xbox like last week, a week ago. Even smartphone you can play, right? Like yeah. iOS. Yep, you can play it on iOS and I, I believe it was uh it came out initially on Apple Arcade and it may still be on there. So oh. if you have Apple Arcade, um which is like a subscription game service on iOS, uh you should check and see if it's still on there. Mutazione. Um it's a adventure game, a side scrolling adventure game, I think we'll say. Uh yeah. 2D art, very pretty art. Yeah, really, like really the, beautiful. Really like the art style. Almost like um, paper cutouts. Yeah, yeah. It's got a really simple uh, design aesthetic, but lots of uh, earthy colors. And all of the character designs are very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel like you know the characters just by seeing them. Mm. Like there's one character who's like he's a larger guy and his shirt he, like his little his belly's always sticking out from <laughs> under his shirt a little bit and he wears like flip-flop sandals and shorts and yeah. i don't know he just feels they all feel very real yeah in the way they're designed so yeah the game is essentially about a young girl who is going to stay with her grandfather uh the young girl's name is kai she's in high school kai is going to stay with her grandfather his name is nano uh, and she's staying with him because they believe that he's dying. He's ill. Mm-hmm. He's not doing well. And so her mother sends Kai to stay with the grandfather for the summer um, to ostensibly like kind of help ease him towards yeah. death is what the, the narrative setup of the game is. And so we both went into this game thinking that this is a game about death. This is a game about mm. watching someone die um that it was probably going to be a very sad game maybe a very uh isolating game this mm-hmm. this person kai going to a new place uh the island that that they are on is called mutazione so that's where the name comes from is from the island and the history of the island is really important to the story too which is that uh like 80 years before the game takes place a comet came down and destroyed the city that was here on this island and killed pretty much everyone who was there. And in the 80 years since then, um, the artifacts of the comet have caused uh, the people and the animals, the flora and the fauna, everything living on this island to mutate. Um, and so that, that character that I was talking about before with the, his belly exposed tongue, he's actually like this large, bald, green uh, person, right? Yeah. Everyone are these, you know, these mutants, um, except for Nano, who is a human, mm-hmm. uh, and you eventually learn more about his story and why he's a human living on this island full of mutants. Um, so yeah, so Kai goes to this island of mutants to basically help her grandfather die. Yeah. That's the setup of the game. It's a narrative adventure game, like I said, so you're kind of going around, you're talking to people, you're making dialogue choices. That's the gist of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it, Spencer? Yeah, um, I think... In addition, like to what you're saying, to build on kind of what you're saying a bit, um, like it's this game about you sort of entering a very tight knit community mm-hmm. and the impact that that has, um, as well as like what it means to be in community and 
and small town life. Like mm-hmm. gossip is one of the core uh, tenets of the game, like how gossip forms, how it's passed around and how it's like, I think gossip can have sort of a bad connotation, but it's also like what knits a community together. Um, and so I just thought it was, it's this very interesting portrayal of small town life um, that was really rich in sort of unapologetically inviting you to sort of sink into and lean into that and find your place within this community that, um, that you're joining. Yeah. And I would almost take it as like, it is a very small town. It's such a small town to the point that to me, I read it all more as like as family. Mm, Yeah. These these characters are family with each other and they're all kind of internet uh, in really interesting ways that the game like unveils to you as you go through it. Uh, you know, as I, it's got that narrative adventure thing going on. The game is very specifically set up so that there are, you play across the course of eight days and each day is broken up into, is it like four or five time yeah. periods? It's, it's like, like early morning, morning, day, afternoon, evening and it's like late night Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and in each of those time sections uh you have a journal that that kai is ostensibly like filling out and in the journal she'll have like a couple notes of things that she wants to do during that time section those are basically like your goals for that time section it it's almost always revolves around uh locating a specific character and having a conversation with them when you complete the goals for a time period time advances however if you disregard those goals and you first just go looking for everyone in the town and try talking to them you'll find all of these side stories and and these bits of narrative that the developers have put in the game that's really optional you don't you could totally miss it you could never see those stories um but it's all there for you to find and pick apart and i think that um the game's tagline is actually Mutazione colon a mutant soap opera. <laughs> uh, and this idea of it being a soap opera, I thought was really interesting. I found this article um, from Gama Sutra uh, called Deep Dive Inside the Narrative Design and Multiple Middles of Mutazione. And the article is written by Hannah Nicklin, who's actually the narrative designer and writer for the game. Um, she works at Dikuta Fabrik. And Hannah writes um, this bit about, like, why soap opera is the the right term, right? Because I do think, uh, yeah. generally, even me hearing the term soap opera, I have a negative connotation, right? You immediately mm. think of trashy daytime soaps. Right. Um, so Hannah writes, a few reactions to the game have focused on the soap opera label as wrong because they think it's a good game. Genre is fairly neutral to me on the whole, but I can understand that to non-writers it is not, nor is that reaction unique to games. In books, film, and TV, literature and drama are often seen as the only place for quality. The masterful romantic comedy Pride and Prejudice is often placed in the literature category rather than in the reams of pink-covered rom-coms. Rom-coms and soap operas share that they are typically seen as feminine forms of storytelling. They often Mm. center female characters and experience and therefore somehow lower quality. I would wager there are as many bad action movies as there are rom-coms, <laughs> but while we might expect an action film to be trashy, far few people sneer. 
So I'd like to stake ownership of the soap opera form. Soap operas are not low-quality television. They are, to my mind, defined by being long-running, character-driven, ensemble cast, slices of life. They share a lot of their qualities with situational comedies, except they tend to be drama rather than gag-driven. And to my mind, a soap opera is an excellent form to work with in video game storytelling. And she kind of goes on to make that point saying that, you know, the hero's journey that we think of as like the core of traditional storytelling, um, in her opinion, doesn't really hold up past five or six hours. It's hard to craft a narrative that, Mm -hmm. that follows that journey that can fill the amount of time we would usually spend with a video game because you're stuck kind of constantly coming up with things for the main character to thwart Mm. versus, um, Uh, she says a soap opera on the other hand in games and in a game with exploration rather than linear corridor gameplay, such as Mutazione, the ensemble cast allows you to fill a world to help it feel like it exists beyond the tip of the iceberg you encounter through your gameplay. It can offer a B and C plots, intrigue, comedy, and drama through different characters, no longer demanding one character hold it all. I think that's Mm. exactly like that is what makes Mutazione special to me. Yeah. Um, and what I think it was so interesting about the game and the way they approached it, um, because I always found myself setting aside those primary goals and seeing if I could locate all of the characters. Yeah. Uh, I also felt that like um, the sort of the way that this world exists independent of you, like if you just stick to your task, you're never going to see this, these kind of other emotional plot lines and through lines that exist. Um, but at the same time, I feel like when it came to dialogue in Mutazione, like I'm used to like as the main character sort of moving through the world where every dialogue interaction is sort of catered to my whims. Like, um, like I feel like games typically are driven in a way where, um, you know, the main the world revolves around the main character, mm-hmm. and as such, um, like you can kind of whatever goal you have, you can achieve through conversation. And what I really liked about uh, this game is that, like, I really had to be thoughtful about who I was talking to and what I said, um, because you might say something um, like, "If I pushed too hard, being nosy with someone who I just met." the conversation might end. Whereas if I had taken a different tack, um, maybe I'd learn something about them or about another character that I didn't know before. But mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that these characters felt very real uh, and very grounded um, in a way that at times, like I wasn't expecting because, I don't know, the art style and the music, like you said, it's very earthy and um, like a very... Um, like the, like the animation style is, I, I guess I, the words I would use to describe it would be like welcoming and soft and mm-hmm. cute even in, in some areas. Yeah. Um, like some of the characters are very adorable, especially like the little creatures. Like there's these little mutant creatures that populate the island that aren't quite human. And um, some of them are called just like dots or like these little dots with little mm-hmm. faces and mm-hmm. arms and legs and that they're mm-hmm. really sweet and cute. Um, but then you have these really intense, real emotional beats. Um, You know, you you have emotional trauma that isn't talked about, or you have um, people with broken families or people um, with trust issues Mm -hmm. or um, relation in like relationship violence that they're, that they're grappling with. Um, And so it just, it added a, a layer of humanity where 
I felt like every every conversation I had, every moment that I had with someone was important mm-hmm. and I needed to treat it that way um, because these weren't just video game characters. I, I was thinking about them as people and I and I wanted to respect them like people. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. There's a point uh, very early in the game when Kai first gets to the island and she goes and sees uh, Nano, her grandfather, who's lying in bed um, ill. And she's talking to him about like why he wanted her to come to the island. And they're talking a little bit about the fact that he, he believes that he's dying. And um, he, he says that he wanted a chance to get to know her. And he says, I also want you to get to know the people who are a part of me to know them is also to know me. And I thought that was a really, uh, I don't know. It was just a line that really hit me when I was reading it, but I think it also speaks to the way the game is so much about this community of characters and not any one person, um, through getting to know the town and to see, you know, this family of, of people who are living on this Island, uh, Kai is getting to know her grandfather and the impact that he has had and the history of the Island and the history of these people and everything that they've gone through. Um, and I just think that's an interesting idea that getting to know the people who know you is a way for people to know you Mm. that we're not islands unto ourselves and that the communities that we build, actually say something about us as humans. Right. right. And and like the game, like when we talk about games and achievements, like missions and things to accomplish, like um like there so just a little bit more context. Um Kai is or discovers that she has a a gift for working with plants. And that's something that her grandfather had too. Um he's someone who uh, took care of the community by tending all of their gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these gardens have importance to the, to the life of the community beyond just providing food and, and beauty. Um, and Kai is discovering, um, that she has the same gift. And so one of the things you can do is go around the island collecting seeds of different types. Um, and, and part of the core mission is sort of reconstructing these gardens and then helping them grow. Um, but, it also feels like of equal importance is the time that you're spending not doing that, um, like getting close to to the family, to the to the inhabitants of the island, like like you've you've been speaking to, um, and I just I don't know I've never felt so compelled. Like I tend to be someone who like when I'm really into a game, like I wanna I wanna keep going, I wanna mm, get to the mm-hmm. next point of the story, I wanna advance the days because I'm just so I'm so engrossed. Um, but this game in a way that I'm not used to, it really invited me to slow down and, and, mm-hmm. and to explore the town and to try to catch some of my favorite characters because I knew where they were at this time of day. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to check in on them or figure out, um, you know, I heard some drama was going on between these two, like, cause mm-hmm. I mean, I can learn if I like walk over and try to eavesdrop a little or just, or see what this character is up to. And um, it just, yeah, it, it brought a fullness, um, that I think really got me attached to these characters in a way that I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. to the point where um, by the end of the game um, at the game's climax, which I'm not going to get into because I think this is a game. uh, I mean, uh, you know, I think this is a game you can play in under and maybe like 10 hours. Yeah. Um, I sobbed 
like a baby. Mm-hmm. I cried and cried. And yes, it was funny because my partner was watching me play and I was fine. Like I was just like, oh, what's at the end? <laughs> and then he left the room and came back and I'm just sitting there silently like tears streaming down my face. Yeah. Transfixed on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked a little bit about uh, before we started recording about how much we do or don't want to spoil. And I really don't want to spoil the core narrative of the game because I think it's I, I like Spencer said it's it's 10 hours or less you could probably do it in less depending on how adamant you are about finding all the characters at every time of day and seeing what they're up to um I think the soap opera and the way they thought of that as a way to tell a story it, it going and checking in on the characters did feel like oh I've got to catch up on yeah. this this episode of what's going <laughs> on in some ways um to the extent that I don't know, Kai feels a bit like an observer to me mm. of the community rather than a part of it. I mm. think that would be one thing that I don't know. Like I cared a lot about the characters. Kai is like, you know, me in the game. Kai is the player. Like mm-hmm. that's the avatar that we have. But I don't know if I knew Kai very well. I don't, mm. I didn't feel like I walked away from the game knowing Kai very well. And I don't, like Kai was like my avatar for getting to follow along with what was happening to the characters in the game rather than I felt like a really influ even though she was doing the gardens and stuff. I don't know. I haven't, maybe I haven't picked this apart enough, but is that resonating with you at all? And it's funny. I, I see what you mean because she is sort of someone who is a listener and takes Mm -hmm. in uh, and observes. I guess I felt like, I think she's supposed to be 15 years old. Um, and just, I, I think it reminded me a lot of myself at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had a pretty abusive childhood. So I was very quiet, like early teens before I had sort of found my voice. I was pretty quiet um, because I was often scared of saying something that would draw the ire of adults. Yeah. Um, and I think what I, when I really resonated with her was in the moments where, um, so she's living on the island and she promises her mother that she'll call her like, they have a specific days of the week, like Wednesday and Saturday that they're supposed to talk to each other. Um, and there are several moments throughout the game where it's sort of indicated, um, that her mother is sort of like her mother definitely loves Kai, Mm -hmm. but she's also got a lot going on in her own life. Like Kai has a much younger sibling. Um, Kai's father passed away. So her mother is working and trying to raise two kids, manage, manage their house and whatnot. Um, and, and, Kai's mother also has a relation uh, has a complicated relationship with Nano, um, her father and, and Kai's yeah. grandfather. And what you sometimes see is that, you know, Kai will call and her mom just doesn't pick up or Kai will call and her mom will, will kind of be list like, like she'll talk about what's going on with her. Um, and Kai won't really have an opportunity to, mm-hmm. to say like what's going on in Kai's life. And then her mother will just be like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And so just I as someone real hard. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just I could relate to that feeling of sort of having to parent yourself and also just not knowing who you can depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, even from the people who are supposed to love you and put you first. Yeah. And so I sort of read her quietness uh as sort of being rooted in that feeling of just sort of wanting to make sure you're safe before fully showing yourself and Mm -hmm. fully 
um, engaging because you just don't know how much these people are going to stick around or if it's even worth investing in the time to get to know them. Yeah. Um, so that's real. And I do think by the end of the game, um, mm-hmm. she becomes a much more active, she takes on a much more active role. Yeah. And, and obviously, yeah, again, we're not spoiling anything, but she takes on a much more <laughs> active role near the end of the game. I guess it was just, there were, there's a lot of moments in the game where you can go locate a character and they might be with another character having a conversation and you can literally just eavesdrop <laughs> yeah. and, like while you're standing three feet away from them and listen to their whole conversation to stay up on the drama of what's going on. And while that's certainly a way that you could be, I don't know. It was the only thing that took me out of it when anything did. Mm-hmm. It's not a real complaint, though, because I wanted to know what was happening with those characters. Yeah. That's why I was Kai standing there doing it. But I don't know that the game is like I always felt a little bit uncomfortable in those moments. And I don't know if that was like if the game was actually intentionally setting that up of like, yeah, Kai's just standing here listening to this converse, this like deeply personal conversation that's happening. The game doesn't really recognize that that's how you're getting that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think in those moments, that's where narrative designer Hannah Nicklin's sort of background as a playwright comes in. Mm. So I think that that's a that's a I would expect that in a play where it's very much about a scene opens with two characters coming in and speaking about what had happened outside of the scene. Yeah, um, and I think that really comes through in in those moments. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Like it almost was like like the like yes you're Kai and you're standing there listening to the conversation but I almost wasn't even thinking like it like Kai might not have even needed to be there it's just a, a vehicle to let us see this conversation between mm-hmm. two characters mm-hmm. um, but yeah that's really interesting I hadn't thought about that before and I, and I totally see that it's like a little weird <laughs> yeah there, like twenty like ten feet away like, <laughs> listening, listening. And, and a lot of times the characters are having deeply personal conversations. Yeah. And the only times they really seem to hold back from the conversation that they're having is if there's another character there that they wouldn't want to have the conversation with. Like I'm mm-hmm. thinking of uh, there's certain scenes that happen at the little um, is it's like a bistro kind of a mm. deal that's run by one of the characters. And there's two characters who are upset with each other who are sitting at the lunch counter having lunch and they're being very coded in the way they talk to each other. But that's not because Kai is there. It's because right. the owner of the bistro is right there. Um, versus you could go into the salon and the owner of the salon and a customer are having a very personal conversation because they're friends and there's no recognition mm-hmm. of the fact that Kai is standing right there and they're clearly talking about something that they probably wouldn't discuss in front of Kai. Right. So, so either Kai was a ghost all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think that was the intended takeaway. Um, but I, yeah, I, so it sounds like you like the game. What's kind uh, of like, what's yeah. your one sentence pitch? Uh, well, it doesn't have to be one sentence. Why should people play this game? Uh, oh, man. So this question makes me think, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, something that a sentiment shared within the trans community, and I think particularly among black and brown trans people, is this concept that we take care of us. Mm. Uh, because <laughs> this society 
does not give a fuck what happens to trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, twenty twenty more anti-trans tw- bills have been passed in twenty twenty one than the last ten years combined. It's like a particularly bad year. Um, twenty twenty one is also on track to become the deadliest year on Jesus. record for uh, anti-trans fatal violence. Um, and so. In a lot of ways, it sometimes feels like we really can't depend on anyone, not our so-called allies, not social services, not, you know, the places that like hospitals, places of worship. Like, There's really nowhere we can go where it's 100% guaranteed that we're going to be safe. Yeah. And so I think playing this game, encountering this island that has been abandoned by society, you know, uh, Mutazione was hit by a comet. Um, that had effects that changed the physical appearance of many of the people who live there. And the world at large is largely like happy to ignore it um, because of that and cast it aside. Um, I think so you come on a boat as Kai to the island by um, this uh, man who is like in charge of bringing materials to the island because it's kind of hard to get uh, stuff out there and they kind of have to depend on this on this lifeline. And this island that has been entirely cast away by society uh, is thriving um, because they love each other and they would do anything to hold each other up. Uh, oh no, <laughs> I'm crying. Uh, and um, they are not thriving in spite of that rejection. I think that they've they fully embraced the beauty that belongs entirely to them because they've mm. had this experience of going through this this transformation um and they they're not ashamed of who they are nor should they be mm-hmm. um and so for me i think especially as kai sort of coming in as a innocent 15 year old who has sort of lived in the suburbs or in the city and hasn't really experienced these type like these all these diversity of people before and being in a community that's so open with each other and so real with each other like i think a lot of that mirrors what it can be like sort of entering queer community mm. um, coming from a background where you didn't know any queer people um, and especially like my experiences meeting other trans people and just seeing how many ways there were to be trans and that there was no one way mm-hmm. um, that's acceptable and that like you know there are some people who never do hormones and that's fine there are some people who never get you know uh, gender affirming surgeries and that's also fine. Um, there are also people who do and that's fine and great too. Like, like there's just like, you could be binary trans, you could be non-binary, you could be a gender, you could, like, you could, like, there's so many ways to exist. Um, and so I, f- I really felt like playing this game. Um, it felt a lot like that of just remembering that community and chosen family are just so important and vital to life. Mm -hmm. Um, No person is an island. Um, And it just, so I think, you know, why should you play this game? Um, I don't think you need to be trans to understand the impact and the power of community. Um, And I think playing this game is just, just a wonderful reminder that like we need people Mm -hmm. um, and that, even the life, uh, like the continuation of, like, I think too, it speaks to what happens when people stop seeing themselves as the controllers and shapers and owners of land and instead see themselves as in 
in community with with nature and as stewards of nature and coexisting mm-hmm. with nature, not trying to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a really powerful reminder of that, of just how much we owe to the earth and, and each other. Yeah. 100%. I think, you know, uh, I'm only sharing, there's, there are powerful lines of dialogue throughout the game that just like hit me that I took screenshots of and stuff, but I'm only sharing ones from the early game because, uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. (laughs) But another line that happens early in the game from Nano Takai um, because w- when Kai realizes that she has this ability to tend the gardens, um, Nano, uh, actually Kai's president presence helps him start to feel better and be- he becomes a bit more active and he starts teaching her how to cultivate the gardens. That was his role for the community, as we mentioned before, and he starts kind of training her. Um, and you kind of get the sense, uh, I think pretty early in the game that he's kind of doing this in like a replacement capacity, right? Like mm-hmm. he's trying to train his successor and, and teach her what he knows. But he has a slime where he says, what I learned and what I wish to pass on to you is the truth that knowing is a process, not a product. Mm-hmm. That was one of those that hit me pretty good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think for everything that you just said about this game thematically um, being about community, being how, how about how we take care of each other, how we take care of the earth, uh, how we take care of our resources. There's, there's so much in here thematically that is anti-capitalist that mm-hmm. is um, anti-colonizer mm-hmm. that is about distributing and sharing power and knowledge rather than clutching it. Mm. Even if your intention in clutching it, is to protect someone else or you think that that's what it is. I think that's a big part of the narrative is people doing things because they think it's um, protecting themselves or protecting others. Yeah. When really their actions are ultimately selfish because they're keeping a part of themselves or a piece of knowledge or some level of power from others Yeah, and from their community. And the game is very much about like, learning to give and in that giving how that kind of frees us all. And it doesn't make everything better. There's a lot of lines throughout the game about how, like, I I mean, there's another one early in the game, you know, Kai's Kai's mom is on the phone with her and saying, you know, sometimes we can't help people get better, but whatever happens, we can be there, just be with them. Right. To witness. Yeah. And so there's a lot of game that's saying like, it doesn't necessarily, uh, you can't necessarily fix it. But by giving of ourselves to each other, um, we can try to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think what you said about selfishness, I think um, parts of the game reminded me of the damage of saviorism, Mm -hmm. especially from an outsider coming to a community that they have no familiarity with and deciding that it's on them to save it or to fix it. I think you uh, you spoke to that a a bit already with what you just said, but um, just remembering again that indigenous people (laughs) uh, have been stewarding land for generations. Uh, Just because someone's not doing something the same way that you are doesn't mean that their way is not as good or as evolved as yours. Like it's not on any one person to be like the savior of anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that being like 
the crux of this game that I thought was going to be in some ways, the idea that this game would quote unquote, just be about death and letting go and watching someone die seems so shallow in comparison to what it actually ended up being. Mm. And it's actually like a really affirming Mm. game and very full of life Life affirming and beauty and humanity. And yeah, it did. It made, it made then definitely made me cry too, but not out of sadness. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying at, uh, just, how beautiful that vulnerability of being human with each other can be. Right. It was like a release. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think, um, because really it was, the story is really centering on this relationship between Kai and, and Nano, her grandfather. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think, I think for many of us, we don't often get to see adults or you know adults uh, other older family members sort of meeting us uh like being vulnerable sort of returning being honest and open and and mm-hmm. maybe that's because they 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 you know they've come up in environments where they never were allowed to or didn't know how to mm-hmm. access that mm-hmm. um and so i think there was just a uh, this feeling of of being seen that I think is really what touched me. Um, like I, like you said, I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I felt like this game was telling the truth. Yeah. So everyone should go play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please go pick it up. I mean, especially if you already have Apple Arcade, my goodness, it's yeah. free. What are you doing? Uh, we highly recommend this game. Pixel Therapy stamp of approval. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's on, I played it on PS5, uh, but yeah, you can play it, like Jamie said, Nintendo Switch, iOS, Windows, it's, get it on Steam. Yeah, it's it's available on pretty much everything now at this point since it got released on Switch and Xbox, so yeah. do highly recommend. Very, very good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to our interview now. Yeah. <laughs> this week we are chatting Ooh. with Isha Todd. Uh, Isha is a writer, a content strategist, and an artist. She's currently working for Sugar Gamers, uh, which is a news and content site founded originally as a community for women gamers, but that has evolved into a diverse group of trendsetters and aficionados within the worlds of technology, gaming, and the arts. We spoke with Isha about her unique career background, uh, how she started out writing about mixed martial arts. Has, she's done a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, She's toured the globe giving Oculus VR demos. Uh, and now in her work at Sugar Gamers, uh, she's focusing on the future of technology. Isha had a lot to share on what she believes games can do for us, the power of VR immersion and its application beyond just gaming, and what technology might look like in the not-so-distant future. We really enjoyed chatting with her about all of it, and I know you're all going to like this conversation too. So without further ado, here is our interview with Isha Todd. Isha, thank you so much for joining us in the Pixel Therapy Virtual Studio. I see, I see Link in the background of, of oh my uh, gosh. our video as well. <laughs> yeah, honestly, my room, I'm just like a, you know, basically just like a big 12-year-old. I don't understand. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's Link. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. Link and then Sora from Kingdom Hearts. And Obviously Sonic, have, the Hedgehog. I mean, okay. Oh my god! When I Everybody's said I'm here. 12... <laughs> 
<laughs> when I said I'm 12, like I mean it. So there's like Sonic, uh, you know, Super Mario. Mm-hmm. I even have like the little crazy like Bowser's and all Bowser, them in the corner. The yeah, Toad, they're all chilling. My like here. little Nintendo. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm so telling it's all you. here. Oh my I'm god. I'm telling you, it never ends. Right. That's right. She, oh, oh my god. Okay, so Isha, who are you? How do you spend your time? (laughs) Uh, With my cat? Like, what do you mean? Oh, Um, I mean, same. Oh, besides my cat? (laughs) Um, How do I spend my time? Well, well, um, pre-COVID, I definitely spent a lot of my time traveling around. Um, Mm. My life is never boring, I would like to say. But now that COVID hit, it kind of just completely 180 my life um Mm. i'm totally content with being by myself because i'm slightly crazy so that's totally fine (laughs) um but i've honestly been really getting into like um like self-knowledge like reading books Mm. like watching documentaries like things like that so i'm really trying to like utilize my time to like keep learning Mm -hmm. um because not gonna lie everything that was going on with the elections last year like that was just intense and even just the people that i talked to it their lives are completely changed and so Mm -hmm. is mine so i feel like i have this like desire to inflict change but i feel Mm. you know in order to do that i have to educate which i'm totally fine with but it's like i also am like you know i'm not like you know a freaking genius or whatever but it's just like (laughs) i need to educate myself on some things too and that's kind of what i've been spending a lot of my time doing lately Mm -hmm. so it's nice because i feel like i'm killing two birds with one stone Mm -hmm. plus what else is anyone doing besides streaming (laughs) Netflix, Hulu, right. Prime, like, just whatever. constant content. Yeah, I and have that, so many. Yeah, <laughs> I need to check my fourteen-day trials. So, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> right. we're all going to be hidden in a minute. Right? Like, that's just, that Stimmy could not come at a better time. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that really resonates. Like, I do feel like pre-pandemic, I was. It was really easy to get caught up in the rhythm of day to day. Like, I definitely had a routine that was very much based around what other people were doing. So like I would go to work and then I'd go out with my coworkers and I'd make sure that I had something planned every night with different people in my social group. And there were projects or events to make sure that I was at. And like, I don't think I had read a book in a while, like before the (laughs) pandemic. Um, And, you know, with all its challenges, of course, like one of the nice things about it has just been um, like, there's no blocker really anymore to just kind of pursuing knowledge for pleasure and not in service of something I'm getting paid to learn about or something Mm -hmm. that I have to do to be better at a job that I'm doing to support myself so that I can do the things that I actually want to do. And, um, you know, that's a nice, it's been nice. Um, and you're a writer. Um, tell us a bit about, um, what what do you do profession professionally? I guess I hate that word. But, um, <laughs> I'm like, damn, I hate being an adult. I know, um, right? It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, professionally, well, unprofessionally, yeah. Besides writing in my journals, kind of every day ever since I've been young, like I feel like I've always oh, just related amazing. to writing. Um, mm. Like I'm still that person that literally has all of her journals. Didn't say I've read wow. through them yet, um, but literally. <laughs> Uh, I definitely still have them because it's been a dream. Like, I definitely want to write, like, my own book. I feel like my life is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, Got to stay ready so, yeah. for those memoirs. 
Um, so I have pictures, you know, but, or the old journals and diaries and things. Um, but I've been, I recently just, uh, am starting to go back to school for creative writing. Um, mm. cause I've always just had like a self love for creative writing in general. Um, but besides that, um, in an education standpoint, more on like a professional level, I do write for sugar gamers. So I basically write articles. Um, before mm-hmm. then I was actually writing, um, I was doing MMA media for like mixed martial arts. So I was basically in a sense kind of doing like sports journalism. So I would like write about the fights. I would travel to the fights, interview the fighters, write about the events, things like that. Um, yeah. so things like, so that would kind of go hand in hand because I personally have a love for the sport. Um, so that was like a really good experience. And then I ended up stepping out of that so I can kind of focus more on writing about technology and video games and the future. Um, but yeah, I do shuffle back and forth. But on my professional level, I would say that's kind of what I'm more focused on. But on a personal standpoint, I do have my creative writing in school and then eventually I'll be writing my book. Amazing. Like no big deal. Like, right. okay. like you know, wow. <laughs> well, where's my lifetime Casual. movie? Geez. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did you do on Saturday night? Oh, let me tell Just you. Like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, not gonna lie. I have no social life because I can't relate. Like my life right. is just kind of like a movie, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> and um tell us a bit. Okay, actually, um, first before we get to that, I wrestling, like tell us about <laughs> Um, how you kind of bridge your interest from how does someone go from being a sports journalist covering the world of MMA to writing about technology and VR in the future? Like, um, yeah. I just- <laughs> so I don't think I'm human. Let's start there first. Um, but no, when I growing up, I basically grew in a grew up in a martial arts family. So my oh, wow. brother used to train, my dad used to train, um, but my brother was like really, really good at the time. So he had like a lot of competitions. I would always go to like his practices um, and things like that. So I pretty much grew up on that. Um, and then I wanted to train, but then my parents at the time were like, your face is too pretty. Like your girl, please stop. <laughs> like they were that kind of family. Mm. Um, so I was like, okay. So they put me in dance, you know, no regrets mm. or anything, but you know, growing up, I ended up going into training <laughs> myself. Um, but it was really just kind of like this love that I've had kind of my whole life. Um, and since I, you know, always love to write, um, it kind of just went hand in hand. Like I'm, I love to network, like even for my previous work. Um, so kind of networking in this space um, wasn't really that hard because I go to fights and things and I kind of manifested and had a dream. <laughs> and mm. then one thing led to another um, and then talked to the right people. And then I ended up getting in um, writing for um, one or writing for a company. And then I ended up getting credentialed and it was just mm-hmm. kind of like, what? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> one thing led to another. Uh, but, yeah, it was good experience. Definitely, definitely good experience with that. And I met my husband through MMA too. So we kind of have like a special bond with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I I love that. Like I was, I watched wrestling as a kid. It was like a way that I bonded with my dad. Um, But I haven't, I haven't really been into the fandom much as an adult. Um, But I I do, something I love about wrestling is that um, it kind of, it has that visceral um, really physicality uh, and immediacy of being like in the room 
watching people live, like interacting with each other. Um, mm-hmm. But it also has that like larger than life, uh, like theatricality and like uh, almost like uh, just the moves that they pull off and the way that it's all kind of um, like over the top and um, taking uh, these characters to the extreme. Like I feel like I can see a, uh, I can see the link between someone being into wrestling and then also loving games and talking about games. Yeah. Um, oh, Because I absolutely. think games can apply that like magical layer over reality in a way that's hard to replicate with like other forms of media. Um, it's really, really just cool. nonstop boss fights. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, there's definitely, definitely a correlation. And even when you speak of wrestling too, I mean, I even grew up on um, wrestling like WWE and like all that stuff. Um, the cool thing about that is like, yeah, it's like, it's that commonality of like, okay, you have, you know, mixed martial arts where people are like punching each other and everyone's bleeding and, you know, there's going to be a winner at the end of the day. And then you have WWE where it's still kind of like that, even though it's choreographed or whatever mm, you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, but they still add in, you know, their theatrics and things. I always relate to that as like a movie. Like they're just really mm. good at their job. They just happen to be jumping off the ropes. Like that's cool. Yeah. Like I can't do that, you know? <laughs> um, so that's awesome. And then when you kind of, and then it's like you kind of vicariously live through these characters, mm. not necessarily the fighters, um, but now you have these characters and then you can kind of relate to that like within video games. But yeah, there's definitely a relationship there between like you know because it is like a form of entertainment but it's also kind of a form of release um Mm. but yeah definitely a relation there for sure awesome and tell us about sugar gamers like what is it and um what can people find on sugargamers.com yeah so sugar gamers is actually really really cool (laughs) um (laughs) i actually so the girl that came up with sugar gamers is keisha howard which is uh she's a friend of mine and i met her through the industry when i was working um with oculus um and then Basically, I didn't necessarily, I was kind of like a fan of her. Like I really Mm. idolized the work that she was doing um, in the industry. Um, But then when she, when we kept our contact and she actually brought me on the team of Sugar Gamers, it was really kind of an open door of like, wow, I personally never seen anything like that before just because sugar gamers is um it's basically like a base hub for gamers but we really do focus on um diversity and inclusion um so basically it's like we have a team of people that has um experience in kind of all avenues like especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to technology like hosting events um training things like that vr ar like the list honestly just goes on and on um but as far as sugar gamers we really want it to be a base hub where you can kind of get everything like we do want to spread the knowledge so it's not necessarily um that we're talking like in the moment like for instance just for an example like when cyberpunk came out like everyone Mm -hmm. was like oh my god cyberpunk oh my god the delay oh my god like (laughs) the game's not really working and it's like Okay. And then it's like, you look at all the websites and honestly, they're all talking kind of like about the same thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, we know, but you know, but it's like, (laughs) what are we going to do about it? You know, what are we going to do to go on to the next step? So the thing about sugar gamers is we always think about solutions. Like we're always Mm. basically five years ahead into the future. So it's not necessarily we talk about the situations at hand, but we always talk about 
you know, how is this going to change things? How is this going to affect things? Mm. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to adapt to this? Um, so it's really just kind of changing shift of conversation. Um, but mm. we really do open the doors um, to a lot of people. But I mean, we're also, you know, alien freak gamers um, mm-hmm. who just have a lot of knowledge and interests um, in a lot of things. So our community can kind of be all walks of life, but we do keep it in that realm of where it's like video games, technology, um, and kind of just standing out in that aspect because we do love to educate people also. And I feel that's um, that's really missing a lot like within the industry. I just feel mm-hmm. like there needs to be more um, substance to things. And that's, you know, that's definitely what Sugar Gamers is all about. And I love it. Yeah. I love this idea of, um, you know, elevating and treating games in the same way that we would critique uh, and uplift other pieces of art. Like you go into a museum and these this art is exalted and uh, you know, no expenses spared in making the room surrounded. And, uh, you know, there's information about how it was made and what the mm-hmm. artist was thinking the whole time and, and how people should go about interpreting it and what they can learn from it and take back with them when they leave the museum. And it's like, I like the idea of, um, you know, treating games that way, but also um, what you said about just exploring solutions. Like there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of problems in the games industry. It's still young. It's still a young industry mm-hmm. um, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And um, there's a lot of, I think it can be really, because of how it's young, but so massive. So I mm-hmm. think it can be really easy to just um, get lost in it or, or easy to not see yourself reflected because so much of what's overwhelmingly presented is uh, mm-hmm. like this monolithic, small, percentage of what's really in the gaming community so i just i love that these space and i mean keisha howard like uh sugar gamers has been an organization that she's been building for more than 10 years so it's been around um she's done multiple ted talks like they're an organization that's been doing the work for years but um i i love just that these spaces exist in the first place um, because it can be really hard to find them Absolutely. And even just to touch up on that, I mean, even representation these days, I mean, I feel Mm -hmm. it's just, it's so much more important than ever. So I think it's like, you know, that realm of like, having people see you and they look like you and you're doing really amazing things, but you're actually doing really amazing things. Um, that's that's definitely the key but now we're kind of showing not necessarily also in gaming but also showing these like different avenues of like film and art and you know uh fashion um Mm. and how we can convert all of these spaces and utilize video games like what can Mm -hmm. we do in order to you know kind of grow these spaces because it's all about storytelling these days You also mentioned um, VR and uh, working for Oculus before um, joining the Sugar Gamers team. What was that like? Like, What kind of stuff did you work on with Oculus? um, That, honestly, that that whole job, I want to say, probably changed my life. I was with them for about three years. Um, So I started at the Facebook. So I I live in the Bay Area. So the main Facebook headquarters is just right over here in Menlo Park. Mm. Um, So I got started 
so I joined the events team. And then since I was close in Menlo Park, they actually needed help on the main headquarters. So it's kind of the same thing. You actually like run VR demos and they host like internal events, like for their employees and then their employees, guests, Mm. things like that. So I worked internally for about like a year on the main campus. And then, um, here and there, I was doing like little, you know, corporate events like around the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and then instead of it being local, now it was out of state. And then from out of state, it was like, okay, let's go to different countries. And it's like, okay. <laughs> um, but I was in the position where I worked as a lead. So I was actually training a t- like a whole team on like the headsets, the content, um, mm. how to give like a really good demo. Um, we would travel around to like the, you know, really big events like E3, like all the PAXs. Um, I happily got to travel and do events in like London, India, um, And yeah, so that, you know, those experiences are obviously unforgivable or unforgettable. Unforgettable. Like, ew, how narcissistic am I? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, those experiences traveling around, seeing all these different walks of life, um, I want to say probably like 90% of people, you know, didn't even know what a headset was. So the amount Mm. of, um, you know, uh, demos that I would give the amount of conversations I would have about the future. I mean, I just honestly became very obsessive, um, just because I really did feel I was really on the front line of like that emerging piece of technology, but not just for video games, but you can use VR for, Oh my God, like so many things, um, you know, freaking film, TV, education. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, honestly, like the conversation can go on and on and on. Um, so I was pretty much at the forefront giving demos and talking, you know, to these people at like some really amazing events. Um, and then after three years, the, uh, I ended up, Um, not working for them anymore because the program that I was in started to like simmer down and like a lot of changes happen, Um, which is, it's sad, but kind of a blessing in disguise because kind of like Mm. a year later, you know, the pandemic happened. So, um, you know, I'm glad that I had all of this experience, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, nothing in my opinion can kind of compare to that kind of work, especially if you love technology, but I was literally around VR like all the time. But definitely things I couldn't talk about, like, oh, check out this prototype, (laughs) like headset, Mm -hmm. you know, that's going to come out (laughs) and it's just like this big deal and you're just like, oh my god, you know? Um, But yeah, like I was, I got to do like hand tracking, like you put on a headset, Mm -hmm. you don't even have any touch controllers and now you're just using Uh, your hands and you're just like walking around a space. So I definitely got to experience, you know, that level um, up until, but yeah, that definitely cut off after the three years. And then I started shifting more into, okay, we're going to write. And and then that's when I got with sugar Mm. gamers and stuff. So I still have headsets and things. It's just, you know, my VR life has changed a little, Um, but I do feel that it's important, but even more now, because honestly, like the pandemic, like I can say over and over and over how much that has changed things and the need, you know, to escape. Um, it completely makes you empathize. Um, Mm. so I just feel a lot of, you know, I'm not just playing this game. However, there's so much more that you can consume with putting on a headset versus like when you take it off of like what you can get like with yourself. Yes, that okay. I just you said go that ahead and cry. Reminds, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
<laughs> it reminds me of my first, ex- or well, I guess my technically my first experience with VR was uh, at Jamie's house with a the PlayStation VR headset where yes. uh, it was like a horror game. And it was terrifying, but that's where you have to go. <laughs> go big or go home with the horror. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> too real, yeah. Um, but I went to LA, and this was definitely pre-pandemic days because I went to what was called a VR cafe and it was Mm. like a place where you could um, put on headsets um, and try these different experiences and so the one that I picked was called Tree (laughs) and you go in (laughs) you go in and you put on the headset and I was definitely struck like it's like it was only like a five minute experience but I still remember it very vividly and I think that that speaks to what is the real power of VR is because it's it's engaging in some times all of your senses like all like all the way to the your peripherals until so that your brain is fully convinced that you are transported somewhere else so in Mm -hmm. tree i was a tree i was a (laughs) california redwood tree oh and i was a california redwood tree who was experiencing a wildfire set off by a uh, irresponsible camper. Yeah, I thought going into it, I was like, oh, this will be just like a fun, like I'll be a tree, woohoo, my branches. But, and it started <laughs> out that way. Like, so the, the helmet goes on. It's putting in the scent of freshly tilled soil and it oh, starts wow. in darkness. And, and you slowly see light and you realize that you're a little seedling who's growing and it's, and it's, uh, the speed is accelerated. So all of this happens over the course of five minutes, but I start as a seedling. I start to grow. Sunlight hits me. I feel, I smell like grass and flowers and, and sunlight and I see animals and there's like cute little animals. I'm getting taller and taller and my, my trunk is getting wider and I'm, and all of a sudden I smell, I smell smoke. And I look down and my body is being engulfed in flames and I'm hearing the screams of animals as they're fleeing and the no smell of smoke becomes overwhelming. Oh my God. And you fucking die. And that's free. The VR experience. Jesus um, Christ. The end. <laughs> so, all right. So first of all, that's traumatizing. Yeah. Um, one thing. Okay. In reference to that, one thing that we did do is every time someone took off a VR headset we had Mm. to say welcome back Mm. Um, just because I can't even tell you how many experiences I've had when someone takes off a headset and they either just stare at you blankly like they Mm. don't you know because they're really trying to consume what the hell they just experienced Mm -hmm. Um, and I've even had people like oh my god no not putting that on. I have mm. no idea what's on the other side. And I'm like, I understand that fear if you've never done it. But then when you go through experiences like that, like, let's keep it real. I'm pretty sure you're not going to go light up a fucking like tree in California yeah. because now you know how it feels. That's right. <laughs> or, you know? And it's just that like, when it comes to VR, I've always said that um, that's when you get like the deep immersion because I would see people like become very mm. immersed in like, you know, the things that they're doing. And it's like, yeah, just lower yourself for the bonfire. Now you're, you know, with the <laughs> yeah. pixelated wolf and whatever. But then you're <laughs> not like smelling the campfire and things like that. And then I always had it in my head. Oh, my God. Like if you add all the senses and then you put the headset on, people are like, I don't know where I'm at, you know? It's just kind of like you have nothing else but to become emerged in it. So when you're telling me like you're getting all the senses and things like that, I mean, 
thousand percent. Like that's what I feel you would have to kind of do to really get someone involved in that story. I've even had people like walk over, you know, walk over to the edge of a, of a, uh, oh my God, like a bridge kind of looking down, but mm. obviously their feet are on the ground, but it's like that mindset, like people are mm-hmm. shaking, like trying to grab the rail um, when there's no rail and they're just like falling yeah. over. It's like, you know, um, it's kind of humorous, but at the same time, you really do also have empathy for these people. So even getting people in the headset, like you, there are like safety, you know, measures like, you know, do you get whiplash? Like, do you get vertigo? Like things like mm. that. Um, because some people don't necessarily know that they have a fear until they actually experience it. Um, but going through VR, honestly, you really do find like a lot of things about yourself. Like, holy shit, I'm actually afraid of heights. Who knew? Yeah, no. I mean, when all of your senses are engaged like that, like you felt like you lived that. Like, yeah. it, it, like it's like you said, it's like it just reminds us how much our brains dictate our reality and how much oh, yeah. what our brain feels wants wants to show us is really what we experience and what we perceive is is not always up to our conscious mind. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's fascinating. And yeah, and the other side of that is that I think it could be really easy to lose yourself in VR. Like it could be mm-hmm. very tempting to never leave. And so I think about yeah. the future. Like I already love playing games for six to eight hours at a time. Add in yeah. VR on top of that. Like if I could go literally go into the animus and be Assassin's Creed, like live like be a character I... in a video game, like I'd never get out. So like yeah. and I and just know I... that about myself. And that's, and honestly, as much as I love technology, I mean, that's mm-hmm. like my dream. Like, I never yeah. want to take off a headset, like, literally inject yeah. a device in me. Like, I'm fucking, like, I'm so ready. I'm like, ready I can't for the tell you. But I mean, yeah. Like, once, you know, when you think about that realm of, like, you know, artistic capability and design and things like that, it's like, like you said, like, video games brings this. Um, type of escapism like I love playing mm-hmm. video games you know do 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 just play it on my console no big deal but now you put on a headset and you're telling me um I'm in the game and then I like mm-hmm. see you know these people they're conversing with me you know I'm walking up to them I get to shake their hand like I- I'm not leaving I'm having a great time oh yeah. my god you know um that I mean as much as like technology you know gets better and better and better I mean I'm pretty sure like our world is going to change into like this you know ready player one um, mm-hmm. Just a little bit better, like not cheesy. Like, look, mm-hmm. like I'm already in my shoebox apartment, like doing everything virtually. You know, Second Life, like way back in yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah. I was all about that, and I didn't really understand it as much. And then I realized, oh shit, you can be in Second Life and actually make money. Like, I had friends that would DJ in Second Life, make money, and then hop out in real life, and then DJ and be like. Hey, double life. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, okay, bitch. Like, um, so it's just crazy. So that mindset, wow, you can actually be an avatar in a digital world. And this is like fucking years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. so now it's like that same capability. Wow. Now you just have a VR headset. So instead of like being on your computer, you are kind of in second life living that world. And eventually I'm pretty sure you could be like that character and just go Mm -hmm. and do things and make money and have a second job. So it's just that merge of the real world and the digital world, I mean, we're like this. Like, that shit is almost crossing over and meshing. So, 
where's my AI? Like, I'm ready. Like, I need a digital form, you know? If your needs are being met, if if the environment is healthy, if you're getting sunlight and nature and social interaction and positive, you're working towards things, you're building a career, but it's in a virtual world, uh, is that inherently, like, not as valid as doing all those things in the real world, especially if you're able to make money? Like, if you're making money on Second Life, like... If you're supporting yourself, not that money is the reason to do anything, but I'm just yeah. like, it really like, what are the downsides? Like, I don't know. Well, look at Well, look at this now. So for instance, we have a cell phone that I, I like to think that's kind of like a robotic extension. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's keep mm-hmm. it real. It's a digital mm-hmm. device. So now it's like people's lives, people's businesses are pretty much all run through a phone. So if you kind of mm-hmm. think about it. We already make money and things like that digitally already. We're just not like hopping in the phone and like into the matrix, yeah. You know, but we're using Instagram, Facebook, like all these like digital things um, to make money. So, what's the difference of that versus? you actually being an avatar and like doing these things and you're just stepping foot in the digital world. It's just like another level and layer of emergence. So, you know, the conversations are always changing, but like you said, like if I have everything I need, okay, make fun of me, bitch. Like, I don't care. Like I'm seeing fucking fireworks off the cliff, like dinosaurs, (laughs) fucking what? Like you have nothing going on. Like eventually the conversations, everything is going to shift. But like, like think about how much safer like sex work could be if we invested Mm -hmm. in VR in a way that was like healthy and we normalized it and we, um, you know, had legislators that weren't... (laughs) like criminalizing sexuality um but you know it it really it's not just playing games it's also Mm -hmm. just expanding um our capacities for engaging with one another like um like those Mm -hmm. experiences are can still be real but it can also um just make it safer for the people engaging in them um exactly and that's the thing and that you know and how silly is that like the it's we want to make things safer, you know, mm-hmm. like the length of, you know, what the technology can do in general can just honestly go so far to benefit people. Like I said, I'm literally sitting here watching documentaries, like learning, 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 mm-hmm. but like taking notes. I'm pretty sure like if I put on a headset and they're like, bitch, let's take you, you know, to England and look at all this colonization. Whoa. You know, yeah. it's just like, I'm pretty sure like what? Like it would be a lot different if I was put in that position Versus like just watching it on TV. Nothing's Mm -hmm. wrong with it. It's just the way that you grasp information to really empathize. Like, oh, shit, I saw that. Like, that wasn't good, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it can honestly do the same with sex work. Like, you know, this is a safe way to do it. This is a non-safe way to do it. Like, I have no idea. But, like, Mm -hmm. I just feel that, like, it would just connect with people way more than like what they think um but you know it's silly because you look silly <laughs> putting on a headset mm. um and acting out it's just like okay get over <laughs> your ego like put it hey. on put it on like we're all looking like dinosaurs like what do you want yeah, no you one's know? gonna be wa- no uh, one's gonna no see one's gonna that be like oh look at that kid in the corner like <laughs> stop it like eventually five years from now everyone's gonna be like that kid and that's right, just the right. way it goes you know
So Isha, um, on this podcast, we typically ask folks to talk to us about a game um, that had a like influence on their life in some way or had an impact on them. Um, you shared a game with us, Grand Theft Auto V, um, which I don't. I think this has been the first time that someone said to me, Grand Theft Auto V really changed my life. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Who are you as a person before this podcast? I was like, wow, she's really sweet and really cool and not like like stealing cars in Grand Theft Auto. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've learned something different if the audience wants to know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But yeah, tell us about, well, first, before we get into your specific history with it, um, if someone had never heard of Grand Theft Auto V, like, what's a couple sentences about what the what kind of game it is, what it's about? <gasps> Good luck. Well, honestly, no one in life has ever asked me that before. Um, if no one has played it, okay, it's definitely a game that has, um, what do you call that? It's basically an open world game. Like, Mm -hmm. where you can play as multiple characters. So you have, like, you know, the real-life story that you can play um, as, like, the main game. Or you can play um, as a virtual character that you created in this open world, basically doing, you know, multiple different tasks. That Mm -hmm. probably sounds like shit in no connection to Grand Theft Auto whatsoever. Um, But the difference is you have guns. Grand Theft Auto Five, everyone. That was great. That was flawless. Um, I think you captured the chaos yeah, of the really, game well. Yeah, really. Yeah, you really got that. I mean, um, how do you describe a game and... where you can do literally anything you can imagine? Literally yeah. anything. I mean, yeah. I probably could have um, explained it that way too. A game yeah. where you can literally do anything. That would yeah, be a great. <laughs> Um, here's a quick passage from uh, Kiza McDonald for IGN, um, and she writes, it's just intelligent, wickedly comic, and bitingly relevant commentary on contemporary post-economic crisis America. It's satirical. It's hilarious. It's over the top. Um, I think something that also people love to complain about GTA, and which was slightly improved in GTA 5, um, was the cars handle less like their tires are made of butter and stick better to the road, although their exaggerated handling still leaves plenty of room for spectacular wipeouts. So something about GTA is that driving a car is like kind of a hot mess, which I think is yeah. interesting because you tell us that the reason <laughs> that GTA 5 uh, changed your life is that it was a game um, that you played to get over your fear of driving. So I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> I know. Honestly, it really doesn't make any sense. That's why I'm like, yeah, I'm a really good person. Um, so no, the thing, yeah. So touching on that, um, so in my life, I've definitely been in like a number of car accidents. Like it's just, it's not fun. Like it's mm. obviously a shitty part about my life. Um, however, I've never been the driver. So it's kind of like that sense of like, wow, I'm in these situations and I actually have no control over them, but I'm also just very, very traumatized. Um, So after a couple of car accidents, um, I was just like, I can't get behind a wheel. I honestly just had for years and years and years, I just had like the biggest fear of getting behind a wheel. Um, Even sitting in the passenger seat, I had to like sit a certain way because I kept thinking, oh my God, if I get in a car accident, like if I'm sitting you know, this way with my legs, I get in the car accident, my both of my legs are going to chop off. But if I sit, you know, maybe with them cross, like, I have no Mm. idea if this is going to help, but let me do it. And it's just like, I constantly, constantly, like anxiety attacks have this fear. So I was just like that annoying person, like, Oh, my God, slow down. Stop. Ah!" You know, and it's just like, wow, Isha, 
chill, you know? Um, but I never got over that. Um, and then I never, even till this day, I don't have my license. Not saying mm. I've never gotten behind a car, like, you know, taken my uncle's car in high school. Um, sure, yeah, as one does. You know, as one does. But anyways, it's just, you know, I have experienced driving. Um, however, I've never got the official license or anything like that because I really did have a fear of getting behind the wheel because I also just didn't trust other people. So yeah. even though it's like, yeah, I might be able to do this. It's just like other people. I was like, I just, you know, I just couldn't. Um, so then, yeah, like obviously I played games for like hell years and even like the earlier Grand Theft Auto games, things like that. Um, but I was working at a secondhand retailer or reseller for um, electronics at the time that Grand Theft Auto V came out. Um, so I totally remember when that game was released and it was like a really big deal. Um, so I ended up playing that game and obviously got really, really obsessed with it. Um, mm. But then, you know, sometimes I'll just hop in the game and just literally just like cruise around. Like I love the radio stations in the game. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, there's like memes on Twitter where it's like, oh, I just need to clear my mind. So I just hopped on GTA and I'm like, I totally understand that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I would do that. And then I'm like, OK, driving, driving. And then I don't know, there is like literally this shift that happened um, where I would just be behind the car and then I would literally place myself as the car. And then it's just like, now it's like, I'm more paying attention to the roads, um, you know, Mm. making left turns and, you know, things like that. And really just kind of like having that relationship with like controller video game. And it's like, Oh shit. Like I'm driving. Like, obviously I knew that, but it was like, I'm driving, you know, Mm. and it was like, I really started placing myself in the car. Um, So Mm. every time I played GTA, it was really just kind of like this alternate mindset of like, okay, every time I get in a car and I'm not going to lie, like, let's keep it real. I'm like crashing and fucking, you know, Um, but I like to say that I'm a good driver, even outside (laughs) of all of that. And I got my husband to tell me, so I didn't record it, but he definitely told, okay, you know, you got it. It's working for you on the truck. So minus, you know, the car accidents, obviously, um, it really was the act of driving, um, that mm-hmm. I really just kind of placed myself in that. Um, and then the more and more that I drove virtually, when I started getting in the car, I was like, oh, like I'm starting to, my anxiety and everything started like lowering down um, just naturally, honestly. Um, and it kind of was like, I wasn't even doing it on purpose. It was just kind of like this thing. Um, and then when I realized I just had this thought one time of like, oh, maybe I should like go get my driver's license. I just feel like I don't really have a fear of driving like that anymore. Um, And I didn't really know where it like stemmed from. And then I was playing GTA one time and I was like, huh. And then I literally (laughs) put two and two together and I was like, wait, did this game really just kind of save my life a little bit? And it, it really, and I honestly had the conversation with myself and I was like, wow, I really did put myself in a visual situation of me driving in a visual game because I didn't feel comfortable doing it in real life. So I was like, let's do it in this game. And then mentally yeah. I connected with that and, you know, do, 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 do. And then it was like, okay. And then now my fear of driving and getting behind a wheel, honestly, it's just not there. Like I don't have my license yet or anything. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, my life is crazy and I, I live in San Francisco. Let's keep it. I don't really need a car here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was like that thought process. Like 
oh shit, I don't have that fear anymore because I've been playing this video game for so fucking long. And then now I'm comfortable, you know, sitting behind a wheel or even if it, oh yeah, let's get our license one day. Then it's like, okay, let's get our license one day. And then that's what it is. So honestly, as it's weird, the parallels, Um, but that's the only Mm -hmm. thing I can relate, not the shooting and, you know, everything else. But, (laughs) um, uh, But yeah, the car was like, whoa. And that honestly, you know, I've related to video games, escapism, all that for, you know, way too long. But this was honestly like the first moment where a video game like changed like a fucking phobia or PT, whatever the fuck you want to call it and it was kind of unreal and then I really that from that moment I really started looking at games like differently as like an Mm -hmm. art as like a sense of therapy as a sense of self-care I'm just adding like these different terms to it because it honestly saved me from that fear of holy shit like I can't get behind a wheel and now I can like okay No, that, that wow. really yeah, makes sense cool. um, from a trauma standpoint, just because of, you know, like our bodies hold trauma, our bodies remember uh, what happened. And so this, like, I think just the experience of over and over again, putting yourself in, like really immersing in the feeling of being in a car, but being in a situation that you're controlling and mm-hmm. that ultimately you have the power to get out from or engage with in whatever feels empowering to you. I think that's really amazing how that can really train your brain to associate that with a car in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a really interesting book called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Vessel van der Kolk. Um, Highly recommend folks at home, Isha. um, Body Keeps the Score, just really interesting book about the ways um, that trauma is processed in our emotions, in our autoimmune system, um, and uh, moves through us in a really visceral way. So um, I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah. Um, And it's just like, honestly, it's just like another, yeah, it's just like another thing of like, you know, could video games be used for like therapy, things like that. And like I said, different avenues of like where video games can come into play to like help people and not just on an entertainment aspect is like, honestly, the conversation that a lot of us should be having because we're gamers, we love playing video games, and we all go through life and crazy things. So might as well start looking at these things that we spend a lot of time with Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. try to get, you know, like I said, something else out of it versus like just an entertainment um, and passing time standpoint. So yeah, 100%. Um, Isha, oh my God, I can't believe the time has just flown by. Uh, We've (laughs) got to have you back sometime. (laughs) Yes, um, please. Are there any projects you're working on right now that you want folks to know about? Where can folks follow you online? Yeah. Um, so people can follow me. I'm definitely on Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Isha knows underscore. Um, as far as projects that I'm working on, I also create art because <laughs> um, <laughs> I never stop. Um, so I create <laughs> resin art for my brand um, craft shit. Um, but nice. yeah, I basically am working on that. Um, and then really just making art like rolling trays, coasters, um, things like that. So I commission a lot of things, um, but I am going to start peeking in the realm of doing more nerdy things um, like for video games and things like that. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of art projects um, to pass the time. Um, But yeah, but definitely just doing my writing thing on the side with school. So yeah, follow Isha, uh, follow her writing on Sugar Gamers. Mm -hmm. Um, Isha Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Yay, thank you so much. It's honestly been so fun.
Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Instagram at pixeltherapypod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, um, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, I wanted to direct your attention over to a very important GoFundMe. Um, It's to rebuild Gaza's Samir Mansour bookstore. Um, This is Gaza's largest and most beloved bookshop and library, and it was unfortunately and tragically destroyed by Israeli airstrikes a couple weeks ago. Um, The two-story Samir Mansour bookstore was built 21 years ago and served as a community center and bookshop for the local Gaza community and Palestine. Indian school children. Tens of thousands of books were destroyed. All of the heart, creativity, and talent poured into this magical place is gone. Um, having heard from uh, Palestinian youth, especially on like Instagram and Twitter, um, this store was a place where they really felt like they could escape from the horror of what was going on around them. Um, and it's like books are, are so important to children, to adults, to everyone. Um, and so they're setting up this GoFundMe to help rebuild the store. Um, and uh, they have a goal of $250,000 um, and they're edging ever closer with each day to that goal. So please check it out. Please make a donation if you can. Um, and if not, just um, please take a moment to learn more about what's happening in Gaza and to um, the Palestinian community. You can find uh, this GoFundMe at gofund.me slash E666BACE. If you also just Google um, rebuild Gaza's bookstore um it's it's pretty uh findable um because i know remembering links can be hard but again that's the samir mansoor bookstore and that's spelled s-a-m-i-r uh m mansoor m-a-n-s-o-u-r um so please check it out look it up um and donate if you can yeah thank you for that side quest spencer that is our show for today So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. therapy. (laughs) Bye-bye.